Hey everybody, it's Jim Mallard here. Welcome to the Mallard Report. The Mallard Report is recorded in front of a live virtual audience on the Duck Pond. Tuesday nights, 9 p.m. Eastern, live. Mallard.com, M-A-L-L-I-A-R-D.com. One more thing before we start. Let me turn it over to my friend that you may know from Ancient Aliens and the Curse of Oak Island and many other things, Robert Clotworthy. On the Malliard Report, the views, thoughts, and opinions expressed on the show are solely those of the hosts and guests, and not necessarily of Evergreen Podcasts, KillerPodcast.com, sponsor or affiliate, or any other individual or group. On the Malliard Report, the views, thoughts, and opinions expressed in the show are solely those of the hosts and guests, and not necessarily of Evergreen Podcast, KillerPodcast.com, sponsor or affiliate, or any other individual or group. Man, I wish I could take credit for that one, but I didn't, I didn't think about that until right now. Good point, Brian Parsons right out of the gate. Speaking of assassinations, beware of the Ides of March, and that is t- today, the 15th of March, 2022. Okay, so you just heard it, the disclaimer. Um, I'm just going to re- reconfirm those thoughts that these are views and opinions of the host and guests. So buckle up, though, because tonight's show is going to be on the, uh, well, it's going to be very conversational, but I'm sure for some folks out there, slightly controversial. My guest tonight is John Roberts, the author of Cotton Coated Conspiracy. Now, were you trying to set that up for a tongue twister for me, or was that just how it came out? <laughs> you know, <laughs> I, I, it was just a little wordplay. I, uh, I started thinking about the cover-up of Martin Luther King's death, and where it occurred, I started thinking about in terms of, you know, sugar-coated. You know, everyone yeah. talks about a sugar-coated turd. And I thought about, you know, Memphis and West Tennessee is covered in cotton. And so I just, I started playing with it and that's how, that's how that came about. No, it, 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 it does ring, but it, I mean, it's just, I had to slow down and make sure I got it right. Cause otherwise you would have been calling me that sugar coated turd. Now <laughs> for butchering you your got toilet. it right. You got it right. So, so take me back. What got you, what, what got, well, before we get into the book too far, what got you interested in the MLK assassination circle? Well, first off, I need to do a little disclosure here, Jim. I want to thank you for having me on. Uh, John Roberts is a pen name, and it's not my real name. You can call me John, you can call me Roberts, you can call me JR, you can call me whatever you want, but I just, I feel like that's important to let people know that that's not my real name. That's true. I do know that. The reason I, I have a pen name is because uh, the area where I wrote the book about, I lived for several years, well over a decade, and I was neighbors with many of the people that I ended up writing about. And so for safety reasons and for legal reasons, I changed my name for the book. Which which is a loaded way to start the show, by the way, just so we're all on the same page. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, there, was, there are people that are still living... Uh, and the family of those who are still living that uh, that were involved that um, are not happy that the book came out. So um, protect my 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 immediate family and myself from any kind of backlash. I, that's why I did it. But uh, I came home from Iraq in '05. Uh, I'd done a tour out in Iraq. It was I was a combat vet. And um, well, first, well, hold on, stop. I, Thanks for your service. Okay. Well. Well, thank you. I know. Yes. <laughs> Sorry. So uh, I had to say that because if not, Germantown Runner would have made me say it. So I, had, I might as well just do it now and be done with it. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I appreciate that. Um, but, I, you know, your your volume gets turned up when you're, you're in a wartime situation. And so when I came home, I didn't know what to do with myself, and I was bored to tears. And I started getting into graphic design and web design and... Uh, politics, local politics, in a place called Fayette County, Tennessee. And one of my clients introduced me to an elderly African-American man named John McFerrin. And I started hearing stories about this guy and that he was involved in the Martin Luther King assassination. And so I, my natural curiosity, I used to get in trouble as a kid. I was always curious about stuff. And so I just started digging and ultimately was just flabbergasted at this man's story and not only his personal story, but how it had not been told properly uh, for over 50 years. And so in 2015, 
I set out to write what was supposed to be one book and now has turned into a series of five that I'm still working on. So, the re- so if I'm if I'm hearing you right, the research took five years or ten years, counting my fingers here. That was dangerous. <laughs> yeah, well, I, uh, no, it was less than ten. I probably spent six to eight years doing serious hard digging, and I mean, spent thousands of dollars, went to universities and dug through their archives. Uh, it tra- tracked down old witnesses, interviewed people across the country, talked to really well-known former MLK authors and lawyers, and just just buried myself in the case. Uh, I, I basically had to give up my business because I was so busy doing it. That's incredible. Okay, so let's, let's see if we can agree on some – well, we, there are some basic facts that we need to get out of the way first, right? That uh, Martin yep. Luther King was assassinated April 4th. Um, 1968 at the uh, Lorraine Hotel. Motel, excuse me. Yep, that's correct. In Memphis. Memphis. Okay, so we agree agree on that. Well, history agrees on that, I guess. Uh, So where does does your story take us? Well, there are basically two camps. There are two camps of the debate. There is the conspiracy group who believes that James Earl Ray, who was convicted of killing Martin Luther King, they believe that there was a conspiracy, a high-level mafia or government conspiracy, and that James Earl Ray was used as a patsy. Then there's the official group that believe that he was a lone gunman and a raging lunatic and and a racist who hated Martin Luther King and shot him, and that was the end of the story. And where my book and, well, really John McFerrin's story differs from all of that is he was a mixture of the two. He was somewhere in the middle ground of that. Um, on April 4th, 1968, John McFerrin was in Memphis and he was buying supplies for his gas station and grocery store in Fayette County. And he was in this mobster's warehouse. This Italian mobster owned this produce warehouse where you could buy vegetables and fruit at wholesale prices. And when John was in there buying his produce, he heard this man, this guy named Frank C. Liberto, over the telephone say, shoot the son of a bitch when he comes out onto the balcony. Don't call me here. Don't bring your ass around here again. And then during a second phone call, heard Frank Liberto say, go down to New Orleans and get your $5,000 for my brother. This was at 5.15 p.m. that day, and John didn't think anything about it. McFerrin didn't think anything about it until he got back to his store, which is about an hour's drive, back to Fayette County, and he had heard that Dr. Martin Luther King had been shot at 6.01 p.m. So... He spent the next 50 years trying to tell his story. Uh, and the other part of his story is, is that he later realized that he had witnessed James Earl Ray working at Frank Liberto's warehouse in late 1967. So he spent years trying to talk to the Memphis Police Department, the Federal Bureau of Investigation, the Department of Justice, He even talked to members of the House Select Committee on assassinations, and every federal agency that ever talked to him discredited him and made him sound crazy, made him sound ignorant, like he didn't know what he was talking about. And I got to be honest with you, when I first heard his story, I was I was extremely skeptical. I was like, "This is you know this humble." elderly African-American man who lives in a gas station. He lived the rest of his life inside the gas station. Uh, I was like, there's no way this guy knows really what happened. And then I started checking into stuff, and I and everything he said, and I mean everything he said, started to check out. So, look, and I came to find out that he had been written about in articles. He's been in, written about in numerous books, magazines, news articles. He's been depicted in several national cable and TV shows. And, and he's so humble and so sort of isolated and, and, and enigmatic that he didn't even realize that he had 
he was that well known. He wasn't. He didn't realize it until I started reading sections out of books about him to him. Well, I was going to say, well, but if you've been, oh, I can't go there. That's a bad pun. Um, well, if people kept denying his story, after a while, you just kind of, I don't want to say give up on it, but you would lose track of it because you weren't, it's hard for me to put in the words at this point, saying, did he did he feel that way? You know what I'm saying? that. Oh, oh my goodness, absolutely. Absolutely. And, 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 and when I was talking about both sides of the debate, both sides of the debate used him and manipulated him and tried to keep him quiet. Uh, and he, he, he honestly gave up until about 2012 when he finally tried to tell his story one last time. And in 2012 is when my friend heard about it and then told me about it. And then I started researching about 2015. And then you really but got, he, you got he, deep into it. Yeah, <laughs> that's correct. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So when you heard it the first time, because like, like I said, when I heard it the first time, it kind of left me a little shell shocked. So how, when you heard it from him directly, what were you thinking? I was thinking, you know, I, I I'm embarrassed to say it, Jim, honestly, but I was thinking. Because John is illiterate, you know, he was he grew up in an era when. Uh, the African-American community in the South were not given a proper education. And so he couldn't read. And not only could he not read, but he is living in this gas station. And, you know, he was old. He was in his late 80s when I first met him. He died in uh, died in 2020 on April 4th, uh, coincidentally, on Martin Luther King's anniversary, the death of Martin Luther King. But anyway, I, I was, I, I didn't believe him. I just didn't believe him. I thought this guy's, you know, maybe senile or delusional. And, and w- which was hard because the more that I got to know him, the more that I loved him. I, I fell in love with this man. He was just such a great person. Before he had even gone into this situation, he was the civil rights leader of Fayette County. He started Kent City which was a, a tent, a literal city of tents for uh, African-American people who had been kicked off their land. He started the first voter registration drive in Fayette County. You know, he met uh, tons of civil rights. You know, he was he met uh, people from the Department of Justice and his wife was part of all of that. So he he was an important person. But by the time that I met him in 2015, he was he was a, a recluse, a recluse hiding in this gas station and saying crazy stuff that I had never heard of before. So I, I guess I have a question. I don't know if you thought to ask him this, but I hope you did. Well, did he worry about the same fate becoming him being um, shot? Oh, he was shot multiple times. They... They, there were multiple attempts on his life. His store, his gas station in Somerville, uh, which is about a mile and a half south of the town square, was the target of frequent drive-by shootings, whether that be uh, people paid by the mafia, the KKK, uh, you know, teenagers, white teenage boys that are, you know, just out trying to harass people. That You know, he was beaten. He was arrested. He was... Uh, they tried running him off the road uh, at night when he would come home trying to bring the supplies home. Uh, he has survived multiple uh, physical attacks, and it's, it's, an astound- it's astounding that he survived. So to the point being, I guess what I was thinking here is it would have been easy for him to um, not say a word and just oh, kind of yeah. he- let it go. Yeah. He had a wife and uh, four children and a, and a thriving uh, gas and grocery business. And it, it made no that, that was the other thing. You know, there's people that say, well, he was an attention seeker. He had everything to lose by opening his mouth and nothing to gain. And he did lose everything. His wife divorced him. Uh, several of his children uh, became alienated from him. He, he, he lost everything except that gross gas and grocery store, which he continued to run well into the, the 21st century. 
So after after meeting him and you you started researching, how, where did I mean? You said you went all over the place. Did you talk to any of the um, the relatives of Martin Luther King? I tr- I was about fifteen yards from Bernice King. She is the head of the King Center in Atlanta. I had traveled to Atlanta because there were documents in the King Center that were relevant to my case that I wanted to search. And not only was I denied access to the documents, which they say on their website, they're there to be examined by anybody. Uh, but Bernice King sent her assistant over to try to shoo me away. Um, she never talked to me. I tried reaching out to her. As a matter of fact, I, I mailed her a copy of my book. I'm, I don't know if it just ended up in the garbage can or it's sitting on her desk somewhere, but it, it was an extremely important for me to let them know that uh, John McFerrin was right. He'd been right this whole time. He knew who he knew who shot Dr. King. He knew who didn't shoot Dr. King, and he knew who was uh, orchestrating the conspiracy on a on a high government level. So let's get into this government conspiracy because, well, the '60s for those who have their whole, uh, head their head in the hole was a time of great assassinations in America. Uh, starting with Kennedy and then Bobby Kennedy, well, John F. Kennedy and then Bobby Kennedy and Malcolm X and Martin Luther King. So there was a lot of tensions and stuff around political figures, religious leaders at the time. So, and a lot of, a lot of thoughts of the government being involved. So let's go there. How do Okay. Draw, draw the line for me. How do we get there? Because this one team, I mean, this one would probably be the easiest case to make because, well, he wasn't a government official, right? Because when you're when you're trying to say things that are unpopular with the government, it makes a lot more sense to me. <laughs> yeah, uh, you know, it it started with Kennedy in '63. It really did. Uh, when someone comes in and starts messing with the status quo, the people who are part of the status quo, the people that have the money and the power, they they don't like it, and they're they're going to get pissed off and they're going to, you know, and Martin Luther King was a rabble rouser. Malcolm X was a rabble rouser and Bobby and, and Jack Kennedy were rabble rousers. And that's why they ended up dead. And that's, you know, they pissed off a lot of people. So it's always been hard. I'm not a Kennedy expert. Um, but you know, anybody who knows their history knows that Jack and Bobby pissed off the mob. They pissed off the CIA. They pissed off the it's, Cubans, it's easier, it's easier to name the, the people. That it, it's easier to name the people that didn't piss off. <laughs> exactly. So it, it's a crapshoot as, as far as who was behind it. But as far as Martin Luther King's assassination, I have narrowed it down to the Southern mob in conjunction with the Dixiecrats, the Southern Democrats of the era. And that includes George Wallace and a Fayette County high-level Tennessee state official named John Shelton Wilder. John Shelton Wilder was a the nemesis of John McFerrin. He, he, he worked in an office less than two miles from John, and he was also the lieutenant governor of Tennessee. And I am absolutely certain, without a shadow of a doubt, that he was he orchestrated at least the West Tennessee part of the conspiracy to have Dr. King killed. Uh, he was Frank Liberto's lawyer. He was friends with George Wallace. And this, I haven't written about this yet, but he was very close family friends with the actual gunman who was also a resident of Fayette County. I guess I, I feel like I should ask because you've, you've mentioned Fayette County several times and I, I failed to look this up when I was reading all this stuff. How far is Fayette County from Memphis? It, you can get from Somerville to downtown Memphis in about an hour, an hour's drive, along a route, a main route called Highway 64. And I lived, <laughs> I lived less than five minutes from Highway 64 for well over a decade, which again is why I, <laughs> I, uh, I tried to keep my name as, there are people out there that know who I am. There's not a shadow of a doubt that one day, my name will be mentioned, but uh, for now, I'm enjoying a little bit of anonymity. We'll keep it that way. Uh, but I'm I'm fascinated. Okay, so 
how how deep does this conspiracy go? Because as as you you know you've listened to the show before, so shout out to you on that. But you you know the more people involved in a conspiracy, the less likely it is to get kept. Right? Let's be honest. Yeah, absolutely. So, so how, yeah, de- no, how, yeah. how how deep um, does this go? You know, it, I, I have dug, and I can say for certain that it was it, it, it went all the way to the top of the New Orleans Mafia, which was a, a guy by the name of Carlos Marcello, which, by the way, he was also implicated in John Kennedy's death. Yeah, I was going to say, the uh, New Orleans rings a bell from another assassination, but we'll skip that for tonight. <laughs> yeah, no, uh, and that was one of the things that John tried to tell the Department of Justice in 1976. When the church committee was going on, they came out to interview McFerrin, and he said, the same guy that killed Kennedy killed King, and they thought he meant the shooter. So they blew him off as being crazy. But when the House Select Committee was going on in 78, there was one key figure that both the King subcommittee and the Kennedy subcommittee investigated, and that was Carlos Marcello. So John was right. He was right the whole time. But uh, I would say it goes as far as I can I can trace it back to the mob in, in New Orleans, and I can trace it back to Tennessee and Alabama uh, politics. And I'm talking about state politicians, uh, probably as high as the governor of Tennessee and the governor of Alabama, which, again, was George Wallace. Which is – I'm still thinking about the mob connection. I'm sorry. The governor stuff is interesting. Well, but- <laughs> this, the mob, obviously, like I said, because this Kennedy and I was sitting here thinking, now who did that guy know, right? Who well, do we tie? Who and, do we, and there, <laughs> as we're doing the string theory, who who do we sorry. tie him to? No, it's okay. Go ahead. Well, and there are people that are, that want to take it higher. Uh, like for instance, Lyndon Johnson knew John Wilder. Lyndon Johnson knew and was close friends with the governor of Tennessee, which was a guy named Buford Ellington. Lyndon Johnson knew George Wallace. So there are people that think because King came out and shot his mouth off about the Vietnam War and was against the Vietnam War that Lyndon wanted him out of the way. Uh, there are also people that, that have blamed Hoover. You know, Hoover sent Martin Luther King a letter trying to get him to commit suicide, uh, which came out in the church committee hearings. Um, there are people... And, and as you know, the CIA was working with the mob in Cuba and in New Orleans uh, to overthrow Castro. So there are people that think there were some rogue members of the CIA that was working with the mob to have King killed. So it, it goes as high as the White House and the CIA and the FBI. I personally have no uh, opinion on that. I, I just I'm I'm very strict with my evidence. I only write about and, and talk about what I can prove. And what I have been able to prove is, is that without a shadow of a doubt, Carlos Marcello in New Orleans and John Wilder in Fayette County were, were involved and, and were involved because of money. So go ahead, take me a little bit deeper here. What, how, how, like I said, it's um, a big thing to pull off because you need somebody to, to pull the trigger and then you need to get the money and get them out of town and all this other stuff. So right. how did that all come together? Because I do believe uh, James Earl Ray was arrested in London, I think. So obviously he, 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 was he, on, uh, he was trying to get out of town. Well, he did. Yeah, <laughs> yep. correct. No, James Earl Ray was working for Frank Liberto as a smuggler. James Earl Ray escaped from prison in 1967. April, I believe, and needed to make some money to survive. And he also wanted to get out of town. So he started working for the mob. And his main contact was a guy in, in Memphis named Frank Roberto in Memphis. He started working for Frank and he started smuggling for Frank. Frank had a smuggling operation. He would smuggle booze and dope and guns. And he started smuggling these things for Frank in the South, through back and forth through Mexico and New Orleans. Uh, out of Birmingham and what happened was is he got so deep in with the mob because they you know they bought him a Mustang 
They were giving him money so that he could, you know, travel. He was enjoying himself. He bought photography equipment. He was down in Mexico having a good time with prostitutes. And, you know, he ended up getting a nose job. And, you know, he was spending money like a, a sailor on leave. And before he knew it, he was into the mob for a lot of money. And when they said, hey, we got another job for you. You're going to kill Martin Luther King for us. He didn't want to. Ray was not a killer. Ray was a partier. He was he was almost a pacifist, uh, but he was also a criminal. And he was into the mob. And when the mob comes to you with a, a contract to kill somebody, you either accept the contract or you're the one that gets killed. And so he had no choice. But what happened was, is from late 1967 until King's death on April of the following year, Ray kept putting them off and putting them off and putting them off. He had several opportunities to kill King. He had a chance to kill him in Los Angeles when he was out there. He had a chance to kill him in Georgia when Ray was there and in Alabama. He, he messed it up several times. So finally, Frank and the other conspirators, which included John Wilder, realized that this guy was never going to do it. He was full of shit and he was never going to pull the trigger. And so they had a backup guy. King came to Memphis to help the sanitation strike workers. And they said, well, this is perfect. We'll take care of it. We'll just do it right here in our own backyard. So they told Ray to come to Memphis on the auspices of you're going to shoot King, knowing he probably would back out again. But this time they had one of their own guys hiding in the bushes across the street from the Lorraine Motel where Dr. King was staying. So when Ray showed up and chickened out, just like they knew he would, he got off uh, the phone with Frank, said, I'm not doing this. That's why he and Frank were on the phone yelling at each other. He took off, and the real shooter took the shot at 6.01 p.m. and faded off into history. Uh, and there are people in Fayette County that know who the shooter was and have kept their mouth shut for 50 years. So... They had to get Ray out of town. You know, they originally were going to try to kill him. Uh, but he snuck, he snuck out before they could do it. And he actually made it to Canada, stayed a time for Canada, stayed for a time in Canada, and then he flew to uh, London, tried to get to Portugal. But they eventually caught him at London Heathrow Airport with a fake Canadian passport and a gun. And that's when he got extradited. And the reason, the reason Ray never came clean about Frank was because he had two brothers to protect, specifically a guy named Jerry Ray. Uh, they can kill you as easily in prison and, and as they can when you're not in prison. And so he continued to say that he was innocent until he died, but he never told the full story because he knew that if he did, the mob would kill him and his brothers. So I guess I've got a weird question. How do they end up pinning it on him? I mean, a random well, guy, a random guy the, shows up in London with a, a gun and a passport sure. doesn't convince me at this point. Sure. <laughs> no, he he was at the crime scene. He was supposed to do it and had his hands all over a Remington thirty out six rifle, which his partner, who I'm not going to name yet, I, I know who it was, but. I'm not going to name him on tonight's show because I still have a bit, another book. <laughs> yeah, I was going to uh, say you've got a couple, so don't 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 uh, don't let me get taken yeah. too far down the road here. But I just <laughs> I'm trying to learn as much as I can about all this because it's fascinating. <laughs> well, they left the rifle behind with Ray's fingerprints on it. So when Hoover's guys in Washington got the rifle and started doing their research on it, they found Ray's fingerprints and they were able to match them to raise prison records. Um, and so it was It was only a matter of, man, I wish I could remember the date. It was only a matter of several weeks from the time that King was shot till the time that they discovered that it was Ray. And then they didn't catch him, like I said, they didn't catch him until June. So he was on the lam for about two months after the shooting trying to get the hell out of town, but they already knew who they were after, which is extremely convenient. I mean, the time... The time from when they did the, the fingerprint, and you got to remember, they didn't have computers back then, so they had to go through hundreds and hundreds of fingerprint cards by hand with 
their naked eye looking and finding, and they that's, just happen to do it with like in you know, a matter of few weeks. That's what I'm saying here. Like this, this isn't CSI Miami. This is 1968. No. <laughs> yeah, no, and that's another reason why a lot of people think that J. Edgar Hoover and the FBI were involved. And if not involved in the the shooting, at least involved in the the cover up. And so, for those people out there who may be thinking they've heard part of this story before, with the assassin getting shot and that all getting covered up, you have. Go back to John F. Kennedy when yeah. when he was exactly. shot, or uh, Lee Harvey Oswald was shot exactly. in prison, and uh, we never got to actually. Well, I guess they did interview him once, and there is a few minutes of tape from that. But, anyways, so. <laughs> Yeah, he and he 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 declared before they before uh, uh, Jack Ruby killed him that he was a patsy. He said, "I am a patsy." Yeah. So, but I'm not going to get into the Kennedy stuff. No, no, I'm, I'm just, I'm just. Well, because I, I know, I know, but for the record, I just want to because I know, like you know, you start drawing these parallels, and you're going, maybe there is a little bit more to this story than what we've been told or understand or know. So, right. So, but how, okay, so now this is where it gets fun for me, okay? We're, what, 50 years later, and you're trying to dig back through and piece these puzzle puzzle pieces together. So, and you mentioned not being able to have access to certain things. How how difficult of a road was this? Getting it back a little bit light here. And, oh, it was, it was super, it was super hard. I, I you know, I'm not a uh, historian or a scholar you know, I didn't know how to do any <laughs> how to do research, but uh, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna do some name dropping here. There were some people that were extremely helpful, and there were people that helped me that I disagree with. Uh, one of the guys you've had on your show, his name is Gerald Posner. Um, I'm gonna give a shout out to Gerald, even though he he threw John McFerrin under the bus in his book. Uh, Gerald was very helpful and helped me get a hold of some documents that were crucial to my research. Uh, another gentleman's name is an author who wrote Hellhound on his trail named Hampton Sides. Hampton Sides was an extremely helpful person and wrote a national bestseller about James Earl Ray and Martin Luther King. So, uh, I have, I have annoyed people, wiggled my way into their hearts, you know, harassed them, you know, whatever you want to call it. And by the grace of God have gotten a hold of not only documents and audio tapes from John McFerrin, but from people who have spent their own time and money investigating this. So I've been very fortunate. I've had a lot of help, um, but there there are still people out there. Like I'm gonna I'm gonna name another gentleman. His name is William Pepper, and he befriended John in the late '70s and continued to be friends with John until John's death, but he knew that John couldn't read and knew that John was not able to really find out what Pepper was doing, so he threw John under the bus. And he did it because he was James Earl Ray's attorney. And the information that McFerrin had implicated Ray more than Pepper would have liked. And so the part about John seeing Ray at Liberto's got covered up by William Pepper. And you read his books, and they're just full of lies, full of misspelled names. Uh, they they accuse John of being afraid and too too terrified to speak. And so, um, to be to be quite honest, I have more respect for the pro official story camp uh, than I do a lot of the people in the conspiracy camp because the conspiracy camp, for some reason, there has been this. Um, there has been this mindset that Ray's innocence and proving Ray's innocence is more important than figuring out what happened to the death of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. And that has gotten placed above that. And so you've got people in the King family, um, in Memphis, in several major institutions, and one of them is the National Civil Rights Museum, who continue to hide the truth uh, because it's inconvenient. It's it, it, John's story was inconvenient to both sides of the debate. And, uh, therefore, my book has been extremely inconvenient and has gotten, it's already gotten negative reviews. There's been a positive review, but there's also been another negative review online. 
Well, let's let's get to that. It's pissed a lot of people off. Yeah, I was gonna say. <laughs> so, okay, people could find the book. What's what's your? You have a website for the book. What's the website for the book? The website is called Cotton Coated. CottonCoated.com. C O T T O N C O A T E D. CottonCoated.com. And the book is actually on sale until April 9th of this month, of this next month. I've slashed it to cost. So you can go on Amazon.com and spend like 18 bucks on it right now. So um, I'll, I'll, send, I'll send you this picture when, after the show. But I've got my copy of the okay. book and um, I'm holding it up for the camera. You, you mentioned to me earlier that I'm on YouTube. I've got my copy here and you notice... I'll, I'll send like I said, the cover doesn't lay flat on it because I've been reading it like a lot because I've been trying to process this all. That's a good sign. So That's a great there, sign. there's a great endorsement for you. The cover on my book doesn't stay straight. So, um, cool. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. And, and, um, I think I've only officially endorsed one other book, which was about the Kennedy assassination, which is fascinating to me that I'm endorsing books about Kennedy, but if it's on sale, you guys should go get it and, and read it. And, um, be knowledgeable in this because, like I said, I, I didn't. I guess I did know, but I never really got into it because the Ken, well, the Kennedy assassination is everywhere, so it was it was easier to get into. Yeah, now that I'm into this, it's yeah, everybody. <laughs> everybody loves writing about Kennedy. Everybody there, there, are, there is a mountain of books on Kennedy out there, and I I don't know where you would start. There, I've got friends who are Kennedy researchers and people in the know that have have you know have their their picks and have recommended books to me, but I'm just, I fell in love with John McFerrin. I fell in love with his story. And every day, every day I wake up and I think, here's a man who knew what happened, who was really involved and no one, no one would listen to him. And it pisses me off. So I've, I've, you know, to the detriment of my family, (laughs) my social life, uh, I have just buried myself. I've become obsessed with, um, uh, so, uh, but yeah, there's no doubt that there was crossover there. There's no doubt that Carlos Marcello was involved in both assassinations. Yeah, because I, see, I, was saying, I, I want somebody to write that, that crossover book. <laughs> yeah, no, and I and I hopefully I can put out enough information that somebody will someday. But uh, Frank Liberto's brother lived in New Orleans and was a cop, and his name was Sal Liberto. Well, during the House Select Committee on Assassinations, G. Robert Blakey, who I'm sure you've heard of, he wrote the RICO Act that put the mob away. (laughs) He and his staff members discovered that Sal Liberto was friends with someone in Marcello's mafia organization. But they would never say who. And Pepper would never say who. And no one would ever say who. Well, I finally figured out that it was a guy by the name of Joseph Zip. Cimento. Joseph, Joseph Zip Cimento was a collector and a soldier for Carlos. He was also an investigator for the local DA's office. Well, he worked with Sal Liberto in the DA's office. Sal Liberto was also an investigator in the DA's office. And I, 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 I found that out again through research, but it, it infuriates me that there are people in Washington and Bill Pepper in New York, who knew about that connection and never, never wrote about it, because again, why? Well, it would make James Earl Ray look more guilty, not that. You know, uh, I firmly believe that G. Robert Blakey, as a as an attorney at the Department of Justice, had to cover for the FBI, and I think that's why the House Select Committee covered up the investigation was because he was trying to protect his buddies at the FBI. Because in the late 70s and early 80s, as you well know, G. Robert Blakey worked very closely with federal agents to take down the five families of New York. Yeah, but the five families have nothing to do with the one in New Orleans. <laughs> well, yeah, but if you if you tie if you tie the FBI to the death of King, right? Then you're throwing your own buddies under the bus, and now they're not going to work with you on any future work. Yeah, well, I, I understand that. I'm just saying, but you, you know, as I'm p- putting these pieces together or jamming things together just to have some fun here, um, you took down all the mob in New York and that leaves a big vacuum and benefits who? Well, anyways. 
Before exactly. I, before no, I, it, it's, it's all incestuous. It's 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 wild when you start see, seeing things in the fourth dimension there as things come backwards and forwards because it's history, and um, you can understand what was going on or what was the plan of action, so to speak, and how it was carried out and how it was moved forward and backwards. And so, through this course of this all this research, what? What's the one thing that kept coming up that just you couldn't settle? Um, or what's the biggest question you have left? The biggest question I have left. Yeah, I would say how high did it go? Again, um, it's pure conjecture on my part, and I think a lot of authors' part, that Lyndon Johnson was involved and the CIA and the FBI. But it, it starts to get so it starts to get so out there and convoluted that it, it makes it less believable. And I'm I'm a stickler for hard documentation and eyewitness account and first person info. And the reason you're never gonna tie it to the CIA or tie it to the FBI or tie it to the White House is because they were well insulated. You know, they did it on purpose. You know, the CIA loved paying the mob to do their dirty work so that they could keep their hands clean. And I think that's, that's probably what happened here. There was a gentleman that I interviewed um, named Jules Ron Rico Kimball down in Louisiana who worked for the CIA and the mob and claimed to have known both Lee Harvey Oswald and James Earl Ray. And... Uh, I know for a fact that the, the, the federal government was afraid of this guy because like, he, he showed me paperwork where they were telling him to keep his mouth shut. So um, that's probably the one thing that I wish, you know, one of these days I'd like to know for sure, you know, how high did it go? And, and I've said long always that the only difference between Lyndon Johnson and Richard Nixon is that Richard Nixon got caught. Yeah, there there was tapes of Nixon, fortunately or unfortunately. Yeah. Of course, he was arrogant yeah. enough to believe that he could get away with it. <laughs> I, they were all arrogant. I mean, Lyndon Johnson was arrogant enough to believe he could lie to the American public about what was going on in Vietnam. That eventually came out through the, the Pentagon Papers and Daniel Ellsberg. What a different but, world, uh, though, you know? You know? Oh, I know it's cra- It was crazy back then. I think it's crazy. I think it's worse now. Well, that's an argument but that we, we can have. We... <laughs> <laughs> do we have another? Do we have another hour. I was going to say. I think we might need more time for that. But uh, I would stay. Would stay in the history because that's uh, fascinating. So, okay. What about the other thing? The other side of that coin. The one thing that you answered that you feel really comfortable in. I am one hundred percent sure. I know who the, sh- the real shooter was. I will go to my grave believing that it was this this former Shelby County Sheriff's deputy that killed Dr. King. And I, I have tons and tons and tons of evidence to prove it. Uh, and when it finally comes out in, in the second to last book that I'm writing, people are going to be flabbergasted. Um, I, I, I can go to my grave knowing that I have pinpointed the shooter and that I have enough evidence to prove it. And... Um, I'll go so far as to say that Bill Pepper knows who the shooter was and has kept it quiet all these years. That's wild. Okay. I've tied this. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, I was going to say. I was just going to say, I've tied this guy. I've tied this guy to Carlos Marcello. I've tied this guy to John Wilder. And I've tied this guy to the Memphis law enforcement community. And I know for a fact that he was there at 6.01 p.m. because I got a black and white photo of him. Running north on the sidewalk. Uh, wait, so. this is uh, 1968. It isn't like today where, well, you know, people take pictures every second and have the ability to take pictures right? every second. Yeah. So who was taking this picture and why were they taking this picture? <laughs> <laughs> okay, this is this is a this is a whole. Okay, I'm 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 showing my hand a little bit, but that's fine. I don't I'm, at this point. Maybe if I if I die tomorrow, people will know. There was a gentleman, a photographer at the Lorraine Motel. The moment King was killed, named Joseph Wow. 
He's an African-American photographer from South Africa, and he was there doing a documentary. Well, you remember the famous pointing photo where there's people pointing yeah, yeah, yeah. and leaning over King on the balcony? Well, he took that photo. Okay. Okay. But before he took that photo, and this is what this is what pisses me off because people have kept this quiet. Joseph Lau took five other photos before that picture. That was a series of six pictures that he took. And the very first photo he took was aimed at the bushes across the street, and it captured this guy coming out of the bushes. And it's extremely hard to find. I spent $500 myself buying it from uh, Getty Images. And there are six different witnesses that were there that day that said, we saw someone in the bushes with a gun over by the fire station shooting at Dr. King, and then he came out and he blended in with the rest of the cops that were coming across the street. And I thought, well, how come no one's ever, you know, where is this guy? Who is this guy? And I started digging and I found this photo and I could match him because he was wearing a black jacket. So I was able to match him with the police report that he gave that night. They asked him, what were you wearing? And he said, I was wearing a black jacket. <laughs> so I know who it is. And then here's the other part of the story. And I wouldn't have gotten onto the shooter until if it weren't for John McFerrin. John McFerrin deserves all the credit. Somebody came into his grocery store in 2012, a guy that lived next to the shooter. And the guy that came in was an African-American man, and he lived next to the door to the shooter. It was a white guy. And he put a red dot in John McFerrin's phone book. And he said, this is the guy you all been looking for. And again, when I saw the phone book and I saw the red dot next to this guy's name, I thought, yeah, yeah, whatever. Well, I started digging, and I realized there are government reports from the Memphis Police Department, the Federal Bureau of Investigation, the Department of Justice that proved this guy was there today across the street at the exact moment King was shot. And lo and behold, I was able to figure out this guy is not only crooked, he was a crooked cop, but he was very, very close friends with Carlos Marcelo's consigliere. There are photos of his wife standing next to the children of mobsters in New Orleans. So I did more digging and come to find out this guy's wife was family friends and neighbors of John Wilder and, and was working for John Wilder's family up until only a few years ago. So all the puzzle pieces are there. Uh, he, I've got him lying in several reports. He said, I was standing here, and the report says, no, I was standing there. The photos don't match the reports where he said he was standing. Uh, um, so the, at the end of the day, I'm, I am confident. I, I would bet my life on the fact that I, that I know who the shooter is. So, okay, I've got, wow, we had 10 minutes left, 11 minutes left, whatever it is. Woo, anyways. Focus, Jim. Good, good to do serious questions out. Germantown Run wants me to ask you, are there these documents regarding the MLK assassination under seal, similar to the uh, JFK ones that keep getting pushed back and pushed back? And... Yes. The the ones that I have obviously aren't. Right. The ones that I have are publicly readily available, but there are a ton of MLK files that were sealed during the House Select Committee Associate, uh, uh, Assassinations Committee they were sealed until 2029, just like Kennedy's. And then they'll be resealed until 2034 and 2040. And... Yeah, right. And then when you finally get them, they'll be all redacted. You won't be able to read anything. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. yeah, there'll be a black line with the case <laughs> closed. Yep. <laughs> exactly. Okay, so book one is out. When When's book two yep. come out then? That's a great question. Uh, book two is in the works. It's called Mafia Brothers and Sister Cities. And it's, it's a focus on the mob influence in Memphis and the mob influence in New Orleans and how those two cities work, uh, in conjunction to have Dr. King killed. That should be out. Uh, it's not going to be out this year. It, 
it'll probably be out in 2023. Well, I feel like saying this at this point, then, but we're not, we're not done yet. But of course, you know, the door is open, right? You know that. <laughs> right? Because we're, we're not done talking about this yet, me and you. No, I, no, I understand. <laughs> I, I, yeah. Okay. I, believe me, I, I could, I, I bore people talking about this stuff. So as I'm, I'm still here. Well, I was going to say, you haven't bored me yet. So, um, that's, that's disappointing. Oh, no. <laughs> no, like I said, once I start yeah. getting into something, it's, uh, well, okay. So I'll tell you this story. Uh, one night I was watching, uh, documentaries. I use air quotes there for those people listening to the audio. And, um, I came downstairs about three o'clock in the morning and I said, now this is complete satire. So don't anybody get offended, but Columbus caused nine 11. And my wife looked at me and said, I'm turning the internet off, off, go to sleep. <laughs> because I had this whole string theory, which, you know, isn't too far. That, you know, if you lay it out, that it was Columbus's fault. Yeah. But you right. can, you can get lost in your own stuff once in a while. But Oh, I know. <laughs> I've, I've listened to your show. I've listened to your guests. Believe me, I, I, it, I, I have to bite my tongue off. That's okay. Sometimes it's good to it's good to hear the things that make us uncomfortable, <laughs> right? Have you had any flat earthers on yet? A couple. Um, one wants Have to come you? back. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay. There. Well, there yeah. you go. So, speaking of, you're you're a listener to the show, so we're going to shift to this. Is there? No, of course. I'm going to ask this question, and you're going to understand why I'm asking this question. Is there anybody that? You'd like me to take a swing at getting so you can hear them because they won't talk to you. Of course, if they listen to this interview, they probably won't. Oh, anyways, but. yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I would love – I've told you this before, and I know that you try to avoid having two people on at once that go after each other. I would give anything to get Bill Pepper, William F. Pepper, in the hot seat. And from what I understand, he's, he's getting up there in his years and he's not doing real well physically, health-wise. Right. But – there is about three dozen things that I've caught him lying about in his books that I would just, I would give anything to hammer him on. <laughs> just give him, just ask, you know, I mean, everything from when Frank Liberto died to the spelling of Sal Liberto's name to, you know, what Jules Rico Kimball knew. I mean, he, 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 he messed up, the, he did more damage to the MLK uh, conspiracy case than the government ever thought about doing. And I'll, I'll say that, I'll take that to my grave. Bill Pepper twisted things and lied things, lied about things. It's just, it's unbelievable the garbage this man spewed. And um, I've talked to him on the phone one time. And in all three books, he said that Frank C. Liberto died in 1978. Well, I got him on the phone and I said, hey, why did you say that Frank Roberto died in 1978? I said, I know he died in 1985. And this was his answer to me. He said, well, that was the information we had at the time. <laughs> and I was like, what does that mean? <laughs> That's Are you telling me that you're Mr. Foremost Authority on the NLK case? You're James Earl Ray's lawyer. You've done how many civil trials and stage trials and documentaries and books? And you can't get the death of your prime suspect, right? Yeah, and it be, doesn't make sense. I mean, and being off years. I mean, I can understand if you said eighty-four and he said eighty-five. You know, like what? You know, that's a lot closer, right? Right. But we're talking. No, Frank Liberto died in nineteen eighty-five, and he, he he every all three of Bill Pepper's books. He said he died in nineteen seventy-eight. If you could get Bill Pepper on, I would be ecstatic. I'd feed you questions. It would be you'd have a laundry list of questions to ask him. Well, we'll see. We'll see. Uh, you know, I can't make any promises because obviously I'm not that good. But not Larry King yet. Well, you're getting. You're, you had Roger Stone on uh, several times, which was fun. Oh, good catch! It was. So. When you're digging through all this stuff, I'm, I'm fascinated by the people who actually put the time. Okay, but we've talked about the putting the work into it, but the writing writing must have some impact on you because there's people that do the research, but, I mean, you've got a, a lengthy book that's readable here. So were you interested in writing before? You know, I had gone to college for business, uh, uh, 
for a period, and I had a, my English teacher tell me that I was a nut job for going into business, that I should have been a writer. And so when I got home from Iraq, you know, writing was kind of cathartic for me. You know, I saw a lot of nasty garbage over in Iraq. I, you know, we did three missions a week of convoy security. I've, you know, I've been shot at. I've seen IEDs go off in front of me. So uh, my volume was way turned up when I got home, and writing in a journal really helped me. And I think through writing that, I started writing a book about my life, and then I quit, and I started writing a book about theology, and I quit. And uh, in the middle of all that, this story came along and I was like, I mean, it, it, I was compelled to write about it. I mean, it, it was a story that had to be told and it had to be told correctly. And so, uh, yeah, I, I, I like writing. Um, I've never taken any classes for it, but I just, I, I love, I love words and the arrangement of words and, and making it sort of flow like a you know, writing can sometimes be like writing music, you know, there's a certain rhythm to it, and I, I enjoy that. Well, you obviously know, you appreciate how well I write. <laughs> Almost enough of a straight face. Uh, <laughs> you're, you you got some decent stuff. Oh, that's all somebody else. Don't don't be fooled. <laughs> I, I, there's people in the secrets and the shadows that do stuff. Yeah, it's probably Germantown Runner, isn't it? No, it's Chris. He's in the chat room once in a while, but he lives oh, in California, okay. so he's probably listening to the show sitting on the, what is that, 405 out there in traffic? <laughs> or at a beach somewhere. I guess it's pretty expensive out there, so he's probably on his way home from work. He probably didn't slack off today. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. So, you keep tracking on this, so what What else, I mean, has anything else caught your eye through this process that you, you might spin into another? I mean, obviously you've got a couple more books on this to do, but... Not to put any more pressure on you, but is there another rebel no, that's gonna? Uh, uh, I, I'm when I when I'm done with this, I'm done with this conspiracy stuff because it, it stresses me out. It pisses me off. I get really, I get really amped up. I get really emotional about it, especially when I see stuff that's put out there. There was uh, an MLK podcast put out recently called the MLK Takes, and it throws John McFerrin under the bus. And so I get real emotional about it because I know what happened and I know the, the lies that people try to tell. So after this, I'm going to, I'm going to write, I don't know, I'll write a book about meditation or <laughs> something, <laughs> you know, something about, you know, yoga or how to find inner peace with God or something like that. I'd like to say I could help you with those, but finding inner peace has not been pleasant. But I have, yeah. for those people out there who've been following the show for a while, who laugh every time I mention the word meditation, because I'm sure that's why you dug it at me, I've been trying these new um, guided sleep meditations for the last few weeks. I don't know. There you go. So. Yeah. Well, any, anything, anything, especially in this day and age, anything to help. So we'll see how it goes before I talk too much about it, but... Uh, it's something that I've, I've actually stuck with for probably two weeks now, so we'll see how it works out. So. Good for you, man. That's awesome. That's great. Well, like I said, we'll see how it works out before we get too excited. <laughs> I want to give yeah, it. A let couple... me know what you're doing. Maybe I maybe I need it too. Well, I've put a playlist together on YouTube for those who may be interested. But we'll, well, like I said, I'll give it a few more okay. weeks and then I'll, I'll talk about it. And because um, it's it, it's fascinating. Maybe I'll tell you about it before then, but. Uh, I've seen really? some uh, mixed results with it, so because the few nights it felt really good, and uh, one night I woke up in the middle of the night and was ready to uh, go, like, and uh, wasn't the right time to get up and go. So I don't know how that factors <laughs> in. <laughs> kind of like you when you get angry, right? You kind of just get going and just ready to go, and waking oh, up that way is never man, fun, you man. Ain't, <laughs> no, you ain't lying. You ain't lying, man. So hey. Thank you, and uh, thank you for being flexible and putting up with my shit for the last few months. Oh, it's I love I love your show. I love coming on here. This was easier than I thought it was going to be. I I really appreciate you inviting me on tonight, Jim. Okay, well we'll talk soon. Actually, I'm going to hang up on you because we're out of time. Okay, you take care, brother. You too. Where's the it's the Mallard Report. Yeah, the Report. Hey, I want to thank you for joining us. It's 
been a good show tonight. I hope you enjoyed it. Take a few moments, subscribe, share, all the fun stuff. You know how to do it. I don't have to tell you. Just uh, be ready for next week. It'll be sooner than you think. In a world infatuated with comic fandom comes a show to help us remember the talents that have inspired us. Whoa, 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 cut. Oh, come on. It wasn't that bad. It's a bit dramatic. Let's just tell them about the show, guys. We are the Canned Air Podcast. Join us weekly for a comedic trip through pop culture. We also welcome some cool comic creators, as well as some of the voice and screen actors that help shape your childhood. Find us on cannedairpodcast.com and on the Evergreen Podcast Network.